Well, we're starting a new series this morning called The Revolution. And as I was scrolling through Facebook last night, I, uh, I came across this picture that I thought would be fitting. If you can't read that caption, it says, let the revolution begin. I like that bird. It's a new hero of mine. And that, that bird kind of captures really what we're going to be talking about over the next uh, few weeks. Thank you, Mike, for that uh, very timely post. I appreciate that. One of my favorite parts of the summer is uh, grilling. Anybody else love to, to grill? I really enjoy grilling. I think that it's also my, my wife's favorite part of the summer because I do a lot more cooking and uh, so she doesn't have to, to worry about it. Uh, I love to grill. It's become a bit of a hobby of, of mine. And just recently, uh, I've started getting back into charcoal grilling. Like the, the convenience of gas grilling is really nice, uh, but there is nothing that beats the flavor of meat or veggies coming off of a charcoal grill. And, and when I bought a charcoal grill um, several years ago, I, I realized when I went to light it, like I actually have no idea how to light charcoal properly. My, uh, my, my tactic was just to pour a bunch of charcoal on the grill, douse it in lighter fluid, light a match, and then like duck and hope that I don't burn my eyebrows off. And I wasn't really successful with that, unless you count not burning your eyebrows off as successful, in which case I was moderately successful. But oftentimes I'd get done and the meat would not be cooked very well and it would taste like lighter fluid and it just wasn't a very good experience. And then a friend of mine introduced me to this little tool. Anybody ever seen one of these? These things are great. It revolutionized charcoal grilling for me. This is a charcoal chimney. And so what you do is you fill this bottom part here with like some kind of fuel, newspaper, maybe a little lighting brick. And then you put all of your charcoal in here and you light it underneath. And then the flame just starts going up in about 25 minutes or so. You have nice white hot charcoal. And the beauty of it is that you don't need anything like lighter fluid. Um, there's no trips to the ER for burn wound treatment, anything like that. It's, it's great. And the genius behind the tool is that it uses the charcoals to light themselves. Like they're in such close proximity that they feed off of each other's heat and, and, and they burn hotter than they would separately. And that's how coals work. Like individually, like a single briquette of charcoal is not really going to do a whole lot. And chances are, as soon as you light it, it's going to burn out pretty quickly. But coals stacked on top of each other in a nice tight pile are going to burn hotter and for longer. And I think that the same is true for us, right? You see, God has designed us to be in relationships. God is a relational God. And part of what it means for us to be his image bearers means that we live out in relationships. We were designed for relationships. That's why when we do things in the context of relationships, we usually find more satisfaction and greater joy than if we would have just done it on our own because we are living out the way that God designed us to be. And the truth is, we are better together. We are better together. We live in a world that wants to separate us, that wants to individualize us so much that we feel like we don't really need anyone else. We can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. We can make it on our own. You know, all of this individualistic 
talk, but you know from experience, I know from my experience that we are better together. We need one another. We feed off of each other, off of each other's energy, passions. There's accountability in relationships. When we're dragging, others are there to pick us up. When they're dragging, we are there to pick them up. Individually, we may quit or lose focus or get discouraged, but collectively, we can encourage one another to move towards the same thing. We are stronger and we are better together. I think that's exactly how God designed us to be. He designed us to strengthen and encourage one another, to support one another, to carry each other's burdens. He designed us to help each other kind of file off those rough edges that that are typically revealed through relationships. In fact, I think that's why a lot of people maybe are, they avoid relationships because there's something about relationships that tend to bring out those rough edges in us that we maybe just don't want to work on. Relationships do that. It's part of what God has given us to to make us who he wants us to be. And because of that, we burn brighter collectively than we ever could individually. We burn brighter collectively than we ever could individually. I've heard a lot of people say dismissively through the years, oh, I can be a Christian without going to church. You guys ever heard somebody say that? And maybe you're here this morning and that's kind of how you feel and you're just here because somebody made you come or promised you lunch after church. I get that. A lot of people feel like, I, I, don't, I don't need to go to church to be a Christian. I think you know, maybe that's partly true. But I also think that's like trying to cook a, a, a juicy 16-ounce ribeye steak to perfection only using one single piece of charcoal. Like, you can try, but you're probably not going to be real effective. You're probably going to burn out pretty quickly. I think that's why God created this thing that we call the church. He has created us to be in community with other people, and the church that God established was a way for us to live that community out. You could probably go around and ask a lot of different people, what is the meaning of church? Like, what does that word mean? And you'll probably get several different answers. You, you would probably uh, get, get answers all across the place. Some would say that the church is a building. Others might say that it's a weekend event. Some might describe the church as a social club or uh, just as a community center. Some who may be a little bit more cynical uh, would view the church just as a, as a crutch for people who are emotionally weak trying to get through life. And all of these descriptions of the church, whether it be a social club or an irrelevant crutch or just a building, all of them are far cry from actually took place when the church was born. So if you have a Bible with you, or a Bible app that you like to use, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, we're going to get there here in, in just, a, just a moment. And in this book of Acts, Luke helps us understand through, through multiple little, little views into the church about what the early church did and what it looked like. And what we see is that it truly was a revolution. It, it was 
it, it was stepping on and intruding into just the regular patterns of the day, and it made a difference. I love how Andy Stanley described it in his book, Deep and Wide. He says, in the very beginning, the church was a gloriously messy movement. I like that description, a gloriously messy movement with a laser-focused message and a global mission. This movement was led by men and women who were fueled not by what they believed, but by what they had seen and experienced for themselves. So the early church was a movement, a movement that people got swept up by. But when people think about the church today, my guess is that they don't think about a movement. They think more about an organization. They think about rules and rituals. They think about power-hungry preachers and unfriendly, hypocritical parishioners. They think about the sex abuse scandal that has ripped through the Catholic church and flared up once again this week with absolutely horrific details. I think it's clear, especially in our culture, that when most people think about the church, what they think about is, I don't know that I want to be a part of that. The ironic thing is, is that while most churches attract religious people and turn off non-religious people, Jesus was the exact opposite. See, the religious people of, of his time, they, they despised Jesus. You've probably heard me say it before you've been around. Like, they did not kill Jesus because they liked him. Hey, Jesus, you're a great guy. We really believe in what you're saying. Uh, we're going to nail you up on a cross. <laughs> no. They killed him because they despised him. They, they saw this revolution, and it threatened their way of life. And so they put a stop to it, and they thought they put a stop to it. But the non-religious, the ones that were labeled as sinners by the society. They loved Jesus and they followed him wherever he went. Jesus not only preached, but he also lived a radically different way of life than anyone had ever seen. It was a way of love and grace, a way of humility and forgiveness. It was a way of life that was revolutionary, not just in his culture today, but even in our culture in 2018. And it's what drew people to him, And it's those very same characteristics that drew people to this early church that set this movement on fire. In the book of Acts, Luke gives us this inside look into the nature of these first followers of Jesus and the elements that characterize, that characterize their, their gatherings. Let's take a look at it. Acts 2, starting in verse 42. This is what Luke says. He says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily 
those who are being saved. Could you imagine being a part of that community? The things that they witnessed, the things that they saw, the excitement that was taking place, those lives were being transformed by the gospel. People were following Jesus. They were finding salvation in him. And a lot of times that meant when they stepped out and said, I'm going to start following Jesus, that they were ostracized from their family. They were separated from their community. But the beautiful thing that started happening is that the church became even closer than family to these new followers of Jesus. They surrounded them. And they, they, they were with one another. They were for one another. They cared for one another. They looked out for one another. We, we read not just in the book of Acts, and, but, but really all through the rest of the New Testament that, that no one went without, that they were genuinely for one another. There was authentic community that was taking place because of the bond of Jesus, and they burned brighter and hotter in the faith together. They, they united around this revolutionary Jesus And people were drawn into that kind of community. And so when Luke is searching for a word to describe the actions of the early church, the the very first verb that he lands on in this passage is translated in our Bible as the word devoted. They devoted themselves. In the original text, that meaning of the word is to stay close to. They stayed close to these things. He would, he would use it again later in verse 46 when he talks about them meeting together in the temple courts. They stayed close to these things. The, the image Luke wants to leave us from this passage is that the early church was dependent on one another. This revolutionary Jesus movement was so countercultural that they would not survive on their own unless they devoted themselves. They stayed close to the teaching of the apostles, to the fellowship of other believers, to gathering for meals in their home and to prayer, which is what fueled their mission and gave them the direction. And so these first followers of, of Jesus, they stayed close to these things and they abandoned all else. And the Lord added to their gathering those who were finding hope, those whose lives were being transformed through faith in the risen Jesus. They were devoted to each other, and their devotion to one another was not just this routine visit to the local temple. (laughs) They didn't just go to the temple, sing a couple of songs, listen to someone talk, get up, have some pleasantries, and then be on about their day only to gather again a week later. Their fellowship with one another went so much deeper than that. They shared life with one another. When one hurt, they all hurt. When one was honored, they all rejoiced. They lived in a close-knit community with one another. And it wasn't that they just huddled into their holy huddle and they said, okay, no one else is allowed to come in. They welcomed They welcomed folks who were new, folks who were exploring, folks whose lives were a mess, folks who were looking for hope. They welcomed them in and they pointed them to Jesus. So church, this is the number one reason why we have life groups. This is the reason we have life groups at Sherwood Oaks. 
Truth is that it's very easy for us to come in here on the Sunday morning and to kind of just get lost in the crowd. You might be able to get to know a couple of people on Sunday morning, maybe have some surface-level conversations. But it's probably going to be just that at best. Life groups are the tool that helps us go beneath the surface with one another to begin living in this type of community that we see modeled in the book of Acts. And so if you've been coming to Sherwood Oaks, Bedford, and you just don't feel like you know anybody, maybe you're looking for a place to connect and belong. Maybe you're looking to, to devote yourself more to teaching and to serving and to prayer and to fellowship. Then I encourage you to join a life group. You can stick around after service today. We're going to be doing a thing called Group Link. Group Link to help us get plugged into life groups. We have life groups that are going to meet on Sunday morning. Before church, we have men's groups, we have women's life groups, we have couple life groups. Uh, we're even hoping to offer uh, what we're calling a not-for-life group. So like if you're not really sure what life group is, but you're kind of interested and you want to just test the waters, we're going to have a six-week group that has a start date, but more importantly, it has an end date. And if you get through those six weeks and you're like, nope, this ain't for me, then you can step right out of that life group and uh, you don't have to like avoid eye contact with the people who are in that group that you're not going to anymore. Uh, Like, oh, you know, I don't, sorry, I didn't want to be a part of your group. Uh, It's just a short-term group and you can test it out and, and then see if it's something for you. Life groups are the best way to connect at Sherwood Oaks Bedford. And more importantly, it's the best tool that we found to help us live out this community that we see in Acts 2. And so we want you to get plugged into a group. If this is all that you do, a Sunday morning come in here and worship, I'm telling you, you are missing out. There's a deeper level of community that we want you to experience, and it happens best in life groups. So stick around after service. We're not going to be here all day. We'll be out of here by noon-ish. We'll be out of here soon. We'd love to get you connected into into a life group. So let me wrap up with this. The the church, by God's definition, it's not a building. It's not a location. Um, I get comments all the time about how nice our facility is, and it is, but I'm telling you, this is not the church. This is not the church. What makes this the church is when we gather in here for worship. The church is a gathering of people. It is not a building or a location. If this church burned down tomorrow, the church would still exist. It would still exist. We are the church. Not the building, not the location. The building is a tool. It's a place for us to gather. It's not even a specific time on Sunday. Those who believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, those of us who have put our faith in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we are his church. If that's true, I have some questions for us to think about this morning as, as we leave. If we are the church that Jesus spoke of and that set the world on fire with the gospel starting in the book of Acts, if we are the church, then the questions that we need to be asking are this. Number one, are we a part of a movement or a meeting? Are we a part of a movement or are we just a part of a meeting? 
Are we a part of something that God is doing that is bigger than ourselves, bigger than just what happens on Sunday mornings at 1030? Or do we just meet once a week to sing some songs, listen to a sermon, and then go about our lives? Are we a movement or are we a meeting? Question number two, are we making a difference in our community or simply putting on a service? Are we making a difference in our community? If Jesus made a tangible difference in the lives of others and we are his followers, then shouldn't we be making that same difference in our community? In other words, are we striving to be the best church in our community or are we striving to be the best church for our community? And there's a big difference in how we approach ministry depending on how we answer that question. Number three, are we on mission or are we just going through the motions? Are we on mission for God or are we just going through the motions? I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of a church that is on mission. I want to be a part of a church that gathers together around our common identity and our common purpose found in Jesus. I want to be a part of a church that gathers around seeking this Jesus and invites folks who are seeking Jesus. Maybe they don't believe all of this, but they're looking for hope. I want to be a part of a community that gathers then to scatter into our community to unleash this revolution of love that Jesus started. To be a part of what he is doing to bring this world back to himself and heal the brokenness in our lives. I want to be a part of a church that gathers to worship Jesus so that we can scatter to show his love to others. In other words, I want to be a part of a church that is filled with people whose desire is not to come to church but to be the church. Man, I hope and I pray every day that that's your desire as well. If our only desire is just to come and sit, Tony, that's not the church that Jesus imagined when he said, on this rock, on this rock I will build my church. It was a gathering of people that his spirit was doing amazing things in. Man, I want to see that in our midst, and I hope that you do, too. It's like coals on a charcoal grill. We gather together so that our passion for Jesus may burn brighter and hotter so that then we can scatter out into this world so that people may see the light within us and come to know Jesus. That is the revolution that our revolutionary Jesus started 2,000 years ago. And my challenge is let's go and continue that today. Let's pray. Father God, would you light our hearts on fire for you? Lord, my, my prayer is that we will not settle for just coming here and going to church, but that we will we will step out of this place and we will be the church. We'll be the church that is a, a movement, not just a moment. We will be a, a church that is taking your love and grace that we have experienced and we are giving that love and grace to others and we are pointing them to ultimately where they can find their satisfaction and hope and that's only in you. That God, we will, we will surround one another, encourage one another, lift one another up, that, that there will be a closeness to us that we see in the early church. 
that we'll spur one another on, file off each other's rough edges to make us more like Jesus. Pray that we'll be a place where broken people can find hope, feel welcomed, where people who maybe don't even believe any of this are challenged, feel safe to explore place where people who are not okay see that this is a place where it's okay to not be okay. You're doing something in every single one of us to make us more like Jesus. None of us are perfect. We don't have it all together. Lord, I pray that there'll be an authenticity in this gathering of believers that people are drawn to. And that, Lord, you will add to our number daily, not so that we can grow in our numbers, but that more people will come to find salvation through Jesus, find his grace, and be challenged to live out this revolutionary love that we've experienced through Christ. Lord, let it be. In Jesus' name.